The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We assemble for ordered worship, to illumine the imagination by the beauty of God, to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to warm the heart by the love of God, to devote the will to the purposes of God. We assemble to worship Almighty God. The liturgy, music, homily, and cantata this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service and ministry in our midst, and as the spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence right here with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice to be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray? O God, whose blessed Son came into the world, that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that, having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure, that when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 17. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was still with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 145 with the antiphon. Extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. The Lord's greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall love your words to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. All the Lord's ways are just, all the Lord's doings are kind. The Lord is near to all who call, to all who call upon the Lord in truth. The Lord fulfills the desire of all the faithful and hears their cry and saves them. All who love the Lord, the Lord preserves. All the wicked, the Lord destroys. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless God's holy name forever and ever. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Glory to you, Lord. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. The second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Gospel, Luke 20, is about resurrection. Resurrection is the triumph of the invisible. Amid all the disappointments of life in general, the way of the cross, the crucifixion itself, the failure of the mission to the Jews, and the delay of Christ's return, it is the universal affirmation of the earliest Christians, of the 27 books of the New Testament, of the martyred many in the pantheon of patristic saints, of the body of Christ the Church, and of you in your words today, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. On this single affirmation of faith, through which God's freedom becomes our responsibility, stands or falls the whole weight of the gospel. The law and the prophets of the Hebrew scripture bear witness of a sort to the coming resurrection of Christ. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, Psalm 23. After two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up, Hosea 6.2. Paul of Tarsus bears witness to the resurrection. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. The gospel tradition, both synoptic and Johannine, both testamental and extra-testamental, bears witness to the resurrection. This witness includes the mystical vocal bodily resurrection as presumed in today's reading. This witness also includes res res recognition of appearances by the risen Christ to a certain few. This witness further includes the regular cadence of prediction on the part of the Son of Man, surely an historic self-reference by Jesus, the apocalyptic preacher, to a vindication and resurrection of his coming passion. This witness emphatically includes, in harmony with the expectations of Jewish apocalyptic, which would have found any so-called spiritual resurrection a full contradiction in terms, a reverence for the body, the body of Christ crucified and raised, the bodily resurrection, and the body of Christ his church. In fact, the gospel tradition at heart is only utterly entirely about the cross and resurrection. Whatever we may choose to think, those who developed, wrote, and heard the gospels in the original setting preached and believed without exception 
in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God. Following in history, the earliest Pauline witness and somewhere later gospel record, the epistles of the new covenant literature without question and without compromise further bear witness to the resurrection. The secondary Pauline letters, so today in 2 Thessalonians, do so in a manner that blends finally toward a Platonic Greek affirmation of the immortality of the soul. But the resurrection remains central, bodily, and unquestioned. The letters bearing the name of John and the revelation to John bear similar witness, appropriating and subverting the spiritualized language of the Gnostics, who were their closest friends and fiercest enemies, parallel in discourse to Jesus' loving hatred of the Pharisees. Acts, James, Hebrews, Peter, and even the Gnostic apocalypse of Jude, while saying many strange other things, are united in this, if only in this. Christ is risen. In the next century, Ignatius went to his lion's den death, acclaiming the resurrection. Polycarp, martyred bishop of Rome, who met the same grisly death, did the same. Irenaeus in Gaul, arguing with later Gnostics, began, amplified, and ended his writing in resurrection. Even the heterodox Gnostic, Ebionite, and Millennialist others bear witness to the powerful centrality of the resurrection in their often stunningly creative attempts to rearrange resurrection for their own agendas. So Valentinus saying the resurrection is a revelation, a transformation, a transition into newness. The resurrection of Jesus is more than resuscitation, but not less. The witness of the church, of this community of faith included, is that God has decisively acted in history by Christ to forgive sin and to vanquish death. Nor is Christ being raised a form of healing only or translation only, like the experiences of Lazarus or Elijah. No, this is the first fruit of the new creation, the beginning of the new age, whose outpost you are, whose outpost is the church. God's invasion, God's beachhead, God's incursion into history. The divine D-Day is announced every Lord's Day, including this one hour today. The name of God's act is resurrection. Without it, our faith is in vain and we are still in our sins, trapped, enslaved, the creatures of various conditions beyond our control or understanding that steal our freedom and so our humanity. Without resurrection, there is no response because there is no responsibility at all. It is in this vein, 55 years or so after the cross, that our gospel writer, Luke, today teaches. All the aforementioned bodily resurrection, he, reserves, he receives and assumes. But he has some other fish to fry as well. 55 years is not that long a time. And there is a finesse to venerable memory than it, that in its delicate lightness touches truth truly. Those who heard this past Tuesday right here, the remembrances of Adelaide McGinn Cromwell dating to the 1950s, recognize the echoes of that sort of finesse. Dr. Jarrett. What does today's beautiful cantata give us? Today's cantata is not about resurrection. All right. But it is about new year. It is about renewal. It is about resuscitation. It is about the promise of what is to come. All of our cantatas this year are New Year's Day cantatas, except today's, which is actually for December 30th two days before New Year's. So it finds us at that moment of doubting resurrection, knowing that it's coming, but we have to wait two days. It finds us scurrying around after Christmas, tired, 
sung out of all the Christmas festivities, but knowing that New Year's Day is to come when we'll sing loud again in major keys with trumpets and drums. It begins not with a four-voice chorus full of instrumentation, but it begins, in a sense, at the beginning of the third act. You hear an A minor aria sung, for, sung by soprano Seryanovich, and her scurrying and her final preparations for the close of the year, she reminds herself and all of us that we should sing a hymn of praise. Now, the chorus has been singing hymns of praise all through Christmas. They're tired. They have two more days of rest before they have to sing another big hymn of praise for New Year's Day. But they rally themselves too, and they uh, sing the second movement, a chorale setting, which over the course of its lines of the chorale, they find renewed confidence and the promise of God's prosperity and handiwork for the new year to come. Over the course of those chorale lines that you'll find printed in your bulletin or your Bach experience uh, companion, you'll find uh, the, the promise of the healing of our weakness, of our schwachheit, or the uh, relief of sin. Um, we are renewed in God's bosom, in his shos. We are renewed and we are made young, verjungt, like eagles. It's an extraordinary transformation where this journey of faith that is a chorale movement travels from the doubt of faith to an affirmation of faith, the invisibility of the resurrection to the visibility of the resurrection. After the chorale concludes, we hear words from scripture sung by the bass, Old Testament words from Jeremiah that promise God's loving care for us. The tenor sings a poetic recitative based on that same text. And now, made young like eagles, the alto and the tenor sing an extraordinary duet played, uh, accompanied only by continuo, dance-like rhythms. The cantata comes to a close with the standard four-part chorale setting. In the context of our series this year, cantata 28 is the aberration. It is the one that we see just before New Year's Day that finds us in that moment when we are not certain of the resurrection, we're not certain of the new year, but through a little bit of community together, we rouse ourselves up and we look for the confidence of faith and the promise of God's handiwork to come. Dr. Jarrett, blessings with great thanks. We affirm today the resurrection is the hidden but ultimate triumph of the invisible over the visible. So hope, love, faith, memory, courage, joy, spirit, inspiration, and music. Faith comes by hearing, by the way of things unseen, on the way to the ineffable, whose heart is resurrection. We confess our doubt and then a new week comes and then a new year or a new year cantata or a new day cause us at least a bit to doubt our doubts. Last week winds of 50 miles an hour and more thrashed Niagara Falls. If you haven't been to the falls, one of the world's wonders, go sometime. In the storm, a shipwrecked boat that had been stuck on the edge of the falls for the past 100 years broke free last Thursday and washed downstream. Parents, like mine, pointed to that old ship, half-wrecked, when visiting the falls. Children, many of us, saw that same boat. We took our own children, and now they theirs, to see the falls and to see how close that old boat came to going over. And Thursday last week, it did go over kerplunk. A story was remembered about that scow. Two sailors were alone on the boat that had snapped free from its tugboat and nearly went over, James Harris and Gustav Lofberg. They waited the long night of August 6, 1918, tipping between rescue and death. In the morning, a Canadian-American crew used a cannon, a pulley, and a rope sling to reach out toward the two. As the rescue looked close at hand, those on shore witnessed a scuffle between the two men. They did not know what the argument was, but probably assumed that it was about who would get to go first. But when the first man was dragged in, soaked and gasping for air, he shouted, 
Get that buoy back as quick as you can. That darn fool, Lofberg, said I had to go first. He said he was the skipper. He said the skipper goes down with the ship, and he ordered me to come ashore ahead of him. And they both did, and they both were saved. But what others saw from shore, they assumed was a fight to go first. What they heard, the truth, was the resurrection opposite, a fight to go second, each one trying to save the other. The resurrection is the hidden but ultimate triumph of the invisible over the visible. May the invisible beauty in these few cantata minutes further convince us so.
so spricht der Herr, es soll mir eine Lust sein. Es soll mir eine Lust sein, dass ich ihn in Gutes tun soll. Es soll mir eine Lust sein, dass ich ihn in Gutes, ihn in Gutes tun soll.
God is a spring where naught but kindness, kindness flows. God is a light where naught but mercy shines. God is a treasure which naught but blessing gives. God is a Lord with true and kind intent. We thank the members of the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium under the direction of Dr. Scott Ellen Jarrett for their musical offering this morning. Good morning and welcome again to Marsh Chapel. In a spirit of friendship, we ask those of you seated in the pews to locate the red booklets at the end of each pew toward the center aisle and enter your name and contact information. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. A few announcements for this week at Marsh Chapel. Uh, tomorrow is Veterans Day. We invite you to join Deed Hill for a Veterans Day ceremony tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m. here in the nave. In observance of Veterans Day, the university is administratively closed but academically open. This means that the Marsh Chapel office will be closed tomorrow and our regular weekly offerings of evening prayer and community dinner will be suspended this week. This Friday at Marsh Chapel is our second spiritual paint night of the semester. Students are invited to join in a two-hour spiritual painting fellowship with snacks. We ask that you please, please register at bit.ly slash spnnov19. Uh, space is limited and you do need to reserve a space in order to attend. We are getting ready for the Advent season to start here at Marsh Chapel. First, please join us for Advent wreath making on Sunday, November 24th after the 11 a.m. service in the Marsh Room. There will be children's crafts and hot chocolate. There's a suggested donation of $20 per wreath which will go to the Brookline Food Pantry. Please register with Heidi Fremanis Courts by emailing her at hrf at bu.edu or see her in the narthex after the service to sign up. Our annual Advent devotional series will start on Sunday, December 1st. This year's theme is Incarnate. During Advent this year, we want to encourage you to embody this season of waiting as, um, as if you are looking for ways in which the incarnation be can become born again in you. To sign up for the devotion series, please visit the Marsh Chapel website at bu.edu chapel. Those of you already signed up for the devotional series will receive an email this Friday, November 15th to indicate that you are on the list. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as the chapel website at bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may we remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
Lord, you have blessed us with such love and goodness. We offer this gift to you with thankful hearts and joyful praise. We surrender our whole being to you in worship and adoration. Lord, may this offering extend the work of your kingdom in our church, your community, and into the beautiful world that you have created. Amen. Lord, support us all the day long of this troublous life until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us, we pray, a safe rest, a happy lodging, and peace at the last, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 